0: So as Richard was mentioning there as he began the reading, the, the idea of, of following along in God's Word and, and understanding the, the truth of God's Word, and then not only having that as something that we maybe have in our brains, but then actually going ahead and doing it. And so this morning is, is titled uh, Proper for Sound Doctrine, and we're going to get into uh, some of God's Word, but I want you to think about that idea of, of sound doctrine and what that means. And what, what is proper for sound doctrine? What, what is proper for us as a church to be doing? What what does it mean when it says, do this or don't do that? And how do we view that now in the world that we actually live in? How many of you have, uh, you can put up your hands, how, how, how many of you have a device on you right now that if I asked you you would connect to the internet? Okay, so we're, we're looking at the majority of the people uh, probably have access to the internet right now. And if you don't know what the Wi-Fi password, well, too bad. Um, it's the joy of the Lord. Anyway, all lowercase, all one word. The internet has uh, changed the world in a lot of respects. Um, now, some of you might not be on the internet very much. Some of you might. But even in the world around us, I think we have to understand and appreciate how the world has changed. Almost every business that you interact with has a presence on the Internet. And not just a presence, but does majority of their advertising and spending a vast majority of their dollars uh, on the Internet. On websites where you can connect to their business by going on the Internet and, and viewing that or searching them up. And in fact, pay big dollars to be on the top of all of those uh Uh, search engine. So if you go on your, your computer, you go on your phone and you type in something and you want your company to be at the very top of that, you have an internet presence. It changes how money is spent. You can actually now, probably most of you do this even already, take your money and play with it in your bank accounts on your phone if you want. Or pretend you have money and play with it on your phones. But you can take a check now and you can take a picture of a check on your phone and deposit it into your bank account. If you had told someone that that was a possibility 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you could take a picture of a check and they would put it in your bank account for you, they probably would have thought you were crazy. Because how in the world can you just take a picture of a check and then be okay with putting money in your, but that's how it works. Out of that though, out of that access to all information and all of this other stuff, comes some challenges, right? There's some challenges with all of that access. And part of the challenge is challenging others uh, on what what is truth. Because one of the things that happens, one of the phenomenons that has happened with the internet is that anyone can go on and put on any information they want. And they can declare that that information that they have put on is true. And how how do you argue that? In some cases you can find facts and truth and and argue it but in a lot of cases you you just look and say well i know that's not true or i know i don't know if it's true or not people just can go on so we have this phenomenon now that is kind of uh called fake news and and again people can just go on and there's a site called wikipedia anyone familiar with wikipedia you can go on wikipedia and you can uh it's kind of like an encyclopedia but it's on the internet and one of the differences is that anyone can change the information on there so you can put yourself on Wikipedia and declare yourself a superhero if you want. And that will, people when they suit your name will come up Wikipedia and that person is amazing and great and has all these wonderful things and none of them have to be true. So it's, it's fake news. And so we deal with this, this bombardment of all this information, of all of this stuff. When I was a kid... If we had to do a book report on any topic, the first place you went was where? The library. And you began looking at books, right? Encyclopedias. How many of you assume that everything in the encyclopedia is true? Nobody now. Okay, how many of you when you were kids would have assumed that everything in the encyclopedia was true? So why the change? Because there's a great deal of what? Falsehood in our world right now. There's a great deal that is fake. There was a story around Christmas time last year that hammered this idea home for me. There was a news story being circulated around of um, a department store Santa Claus who was invited to the deathbed of a child and relayed this story to any news outlet that would listen of him holding this child as the child died, and everyone just thought, you know, what a what a crazy sad story, and so he had. Worldwide press was talking to him about this. And all of a sudden he was in this this great demand in his profession. Until what? They tried to verify any part of his story. And he had made the whole thing up for attention. Think about that. He, He made up that story to get attention to promote himself and it was fake it wasn't real our world is full of this kind of information our our kids our peers are bombarded with fake news fake science and they're growing up in a world where they will have to struggle with coming to the truth and finding out what is real instead of just listening to the world actually finding out what is actually true Now, in a lot of cases, outside of when we talk about spiritual things, there's some difficulty in that. But when we understand, when we talk about spiritual things, where do we turn to for the truth? Now, there's really only one answer to that. And out of that one answer maybe comes a few other answers. But the foundation of that is in sound doctrine that comes from the Word of God. So you may, you may turn to uh, individuals that have wisdom. You may turn to elders or deacons. You may turn to those that, that, that you trust within that kind of great cloud of witnesses that surround you and encourage you and, and help to spur you on to, uh, to good deeds. But at the same time, their, their responses, their answers, their wisdom has to be grounded in what? It has to be grounded in the Word of God. Because it is too easy too easy for us to then take what the world says and have that then become the truth. It's too easy to to twist what God says if it's only about the wisdom that we have or the wisdom that I have. And I I can tell you from personal experience that my wisdom is not good enough to direct the body of believers. And I would challenge any of you who says that your wisdom is in and of itself great enough to direct the body of believers. We rely on God and what God has provided for us in sound doctrine to live according to the word of God. And so we have this this call uh, to teach the word. And first and foremost that's what we will do. We will teach the word. And you have to jump into it. You have to study it. You have to know it. And not just in the, uh, in the catchphrases. You know, we could, you could probably say, well, Romans 3.28, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Or, or, or certain, you know, uh, Jesus wept. Or, or for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You know, John 3.16. We know all of those. But, but expand on that expand beyond just the, the catchphrases and look at what it says in context. Look at what it's saying. Look, look at what it says to us now. And teach the word. Don't, don't just pick out the verses that you like, memorize those and say, well, that's good enough. I know three or four. And there's some difficulty in that. I, I know that some of our memories aren't very good. And so we may have to study it more. We may have to read it more. More. I I can tell you right now that my brain, the way it functions, yes, I know, it does function. Uh, The way it functions is I have a really difficult time with names. I don't know if anyone else is like that, but names. You ask my, oh, they're here somewhere, my kids, then I will say talking to Ben, and I will call him Noah. And talking to Noah, I will call him Ben. And I used to I used to think that it was hilarious when my mother did that and my mother would go through the list she would start at like cousins and people I was like I don't even know who that is and you're saying all these names she'd go through the list of dogs that we've had throughout my entire life and finally arrive at my name and I would think that's hilarious and now it's a serious issue not to be laughed at but that's the way my brain works. So even in, in the study of Scripture, I, I don't know if you guys noticed, and some of you did notice, uh, last week I was talking about Daniel, and I said what? I said David. And do I know the difference between Daniel and David? Yeah, but I, I my brain. So when we're studying God's Word, we have to actually study the Word of God. Because how relevant, how important is it for us to then be able to teach the Word of God? There's a great deal of importance in teaching the word of God as Christians, as the church. We have a lot of people in the world, we have a lot of people even here that deal with many different issues. And how are they resolved? Many different temptations. How, how are they strengthened? Encouragement from the word of God. We understand this wisdom that comes not from man, but from God. How how does the, the wisdom of man viewed in Scripture? As foolishness to God, right? As foolishness to God compared to the wisdom of God in what God knows and understands. God knows us and loves us. He knows how to create the world by speaking it into existence. He knows who we are, our faults. Our weaknesses, our hurts, the things we long for, the things we pray for. He knows every word before it comes off our tongue. And we need to turn to the wisdom of God. Part of that is resisting temptation. Have you ever kind of just taken a step back and looked at the world? And seeing all the work that is put in to temptation in our world. To getting you to do something. To buy something. To think something. It's a billion dollar industry just creating temptation. Do we know God's word well enough to, to resist that temptation. Do we rely on the wisdom of God enough to be able to resist some of that temptation, with the goal of resisting all of that temptation? Jesus, when he was tempted uh, by Jesus or by Satan, did what? His reliance was on on who? On, on the wisdom that God had provided in using the Word of God. We need to be able to do this as well, to resist temptation. To be able to resist the devil and he will flee. I want us to think about what that means for us. If we are resisting the devil, God calls us in order to do that to draw near to him, right? And to be a people that pray without ceasing. Who spend time in prayer to God. Now I know we're busy. I know we have lives that are full. Full of so many other things. Do not disregard prayer. Do not think of it as something that is an afterthought. While we pray it at church more than once. Surely that will cover me for the rest of this week. That is a, something different. That is a, a prayer that we probably would re- refer to something as a, as a corporate prayer that is wed uh, for us. And we kind of follow along in that. And we should be uh, thinking through those things. And we should be, you know, following along in that prayer and, and be engaged in that prayer. I'm not saying we shouldn't. But there's something different that when we engage ourselves in prayer when we open up our hearts and begin to share our thoughts with the Lord, our our, our wants with the Lord, the things that that we strive for, the things that we know are our weaknesses, and actually turn those things over to God. It's different. And we are called to have a heart that that is sensitive to those things that we pray without ceasing. How many of us have lessons to learn. You don't have to put up your hands because I know the answer. We all have lessons to learn, do we not? I'll wait for that to sink in. Yeah. Part of our, our, our hopefully this comes out okay, part of our arrogance, our pride, wants us to think that, well, I, you know, even in some of my lessons that I have to learn, I'm I'm a good person, I'm a, well, I'm a really good person. Well, okay, not disagreeing with you, but those lessons are important, that we learn and we mature and that we, that we grow. I want to turn into Titus. And in Titus, there's a, in Titus chapter 2, there is a passage of scripture that deals with some of these uh, lessons at different stages of life. And I, I think it's important that we understand that we don't ever kind of grow out of the necessity to grow and to mature and to learn, uh, just as when we're uh, younger, maybe, and we have this sense of uh, all life is ahead of us, and we have all of this uh, to give, that we still have things that we could work on. So, in, in Titus chapter two, it begins with you. However, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. So, teach what is appropriate. Teach sound doctrine. So then, what is what is Titus supposed to teach? Teach the older men to be, so all of you older men, I'm not going to ask how many of you think you fit into that category, but all of you older men should be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, sound in love and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women, to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. I hope we understand that that no matter what our age, no matter how we, uh, well, we're all going to age, but no, no matter how what age we fall into, that we have this idea that we still have much to give to the body of believers. There's still lessons to be learned, things that we can teach, things that we can pass on. The wisdom of age. Now, I know our world... Um, Fails at this and maybe not our world so much as maybe even within our own culture fails at this there are many cultures where the wisdom of age is an extremely important thing and grandparents or great grandparents are revered because of the wisdom that they have the things that they've gone to those things that they can impart and our culture doesn't necessarily thrive on that But as a church, we understand the wisdom of those who have gone through things that we're looking ahead to. At the same time, those who have that wisdom have to learn the lesson that they need to impart that on those who are younger. Right? Because that's what the next passage deals with. So then, verse 4... Older women should be then they should can encourage the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self controlled, to be pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subjects to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self controlled. In everything, set them an example. By doing what is good, in your teaching show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. So those who are older should be helping to raise those who are younger. And both uh, both columns, uh, the younger women and men, to be self-controlled. And there's more to it than that, right? There's more to it than that, but there is this idea that we have to have an understanding that our wives should be given over to God. Now, where does that example come from? For those who... Uh, put themselves in the younger category. I don't know where the cutoff line there is, but if you put yourself in the... What what examples do you have to look to? Take the wisdom of those who are in the generations before you. Don't disregard it. There, There are so many lessons that you wouldn't have to go through and learn the hard way if we would learn from those who already have seen it happen. Maybe not even to them, but have seen it happen. And have learned of that lesson already. Those who are uh, younger couples with younger children. And are dealing with the, the trials of all of that. How many people in this room have done that already? Have some wisdom to impart. And often the, the younger generation things have, ah, but the world's changed. We're so much more advanced. We're so much smarter. We've got this all figured out compared to the older generations. And the older generation is looking at you going, okay, this is exactly the same thing that I went through. And you just don't think it is because you're not willing to accept help. You're not willing to accept help in, in humility. At the same time, the older generation, we have to we have to understand the difficulty of, of what it is to be in the younger generation in the world around us today. And as you talked about earlier, being bombarded with falsehood, being bombarded with temptation, being bombarded with things not working properly. It's serious. It is serious that, that we understand. That there is a truth to pass on to each generation. And not let the world raise our kids. Not let the world raise the youth, the young couples. Not let the world define what marriage is for those who are struggling in their marriages. Not let the world define within the church what is right. When there is so much temptation to do what is wrong in our world. Each of us, as a part of the body of believers then, has an avenue in things that we are to be doing. Things that we are called to. Lessons to learn. Lessons to share. To teach. To the point even where, if you go back into Titus, he he goes into verse 9. To teach the slaves. Now, this isn't a... An acceptance or an encouragement of, of slavery in our world, but but they even in the position that they're in have an opportunity to teach the word of God by doing the work that they're called to and doing it well and putting thought into it and effort into it so that they can evangelize and teach their masters. Now, again, we're not we're not advocating going back to a time of slavery, but we're understanding that even in that position, that they can have an influence. So it's not exactly the same, but you go to work each, each day or whatever day you work. What kind of effort do you put in and why? The, some of the frustration, the, the generations much younger than my, me, are accused of saying, well, if you, if you pay me more, I'll work more. But you agreed to this wage. Nope, you pay me more, I'll work more. Okay. Do we have an opportunity to work to make an impression for God? Let's read what it says. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. Try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Can you replace uh, the idea of slaves and masters there with even a worker and a boss? You probably can't. But again, it's, it's given this opportunity that we all have to be teachers of God's Word. Why? Go into verse 11 if you're in Titus. Titus chapter 2. I would encourage you to follow along. Verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Are we sharing this grace that covers us? Are we really sharing that with the world around us? Are we, are we sharing that with the church? By teaching lessons that we've learned, by, by sharing the gospel, by helping those who are younger, or helping those who are, who are older? Do we understand that this has appeared uh, to all men? That we don't hoard this within the church? Now, will all men respond? No. We understand that there are those that are, ha, have been chosen before the, even the creation of the world that will respond? But that is not our job to decipher who that is. We are called to be a people that follow through on what was commanded at the end of Matthew. To go and to teach and to preach and to share. And to bring people into the church and have them be baptized and learn the lessons that God has taught, that Christ has taught. And not pick and choose who we think, well this person, this person could be a member of the church, this No. Salvation has appeared to all men. And and in that it says this. It teaches us, verse 12, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Nike, as you know, the clothing shoe company that kind of started with uh, Michael Jordan, has for generations sold its product with what slogan? Just, just do it. I don't know how that relates to a shoe company, uh, but that's their slogan. Maybe it was because they were expensive and they wanted you to think when you're standing there, do I really want to spend this money on these shoes? And their slogan is, just do it. It's not the slogan of a Christian, though, is it? In fact, what it says here, that when we understand what God has done for us in grace, that we will just say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Instead, we will embrace a life lived in self-control, one that is upright, one that is godly, in this present age. Understanding, even in the age we live in now, that we can choose to be godly. And I know it goes without saying that we have faltered and that we have failed, and yet we come back and we repent. And we choose to say no. We choose to be self-controlled. If you read on through that passage, it says we do this in verse 13. While we wait, will we wait for the blessed hope? This opportunity to spend an eternity with God. It says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself himself. A people that are his very own. Eager to do what is good. And that is who we have to be. His people. Purified. Eager to do what is good while we wait for his return. You know, we started all of this, this off by de- describing us as people who are teachers of God's word. And that's what we are. That's what we have to be eager to do what is good, eager to teach what is good while saying no to that which is in the world and living for God and for God alone. I want to close this morning by reading in Titus chapter 3, so if you'd like to turn there uh, and follow along. Titus chapter 3, it says this, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to always be gentle toward everyone. And renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned.